please turn with me to John chapter 10. Thanks, Tim. I love that song. That was rich. John chapter 10 is where we're going to begin this morning. When I was in high school, still living in New York, I had the opportunity to help out one of our family friends on his sheep ranch. So I showed up to help him out, and um, he gave me a little warning. He said, now, as you're working with the sheep and you're feeding the sheep, you need to um, keep your eye on my ram because uh, my ram can get uh, kind of ornery and nasty and mean, and he will, he'll kind of slip behind you when you're not paying attention, and he, he'll, he'll, he'll headbutt you right here. This is where he likes to nail me. He'll just come right up behind you, and boom. And, uh, you know, he's, he's put me on the ground a, a time or two. So you just keep one eye on that ram because it'll hurt if he nails you. And so, you know, I, I trusted his opinion because uh, our friend's name was Doug Hogan. He was a big, strong guy. He was a, a veterinarian. Uh, he was a prof up at the university. He, he knew what he was talking about. He had raised sheep for many years. And so I thought, I better keep my eye on that ram. And so I'm working with his sheep, and I'm keeping one eye all the time to know where that ram is. And then at one point in time, I realized, I've been working for a few minutes, and I don't, I don't know where that ram is. And I, I turned around, and sure enough, he had lined me up. He had dropped his head, and he just started moving toward me. And so I ran. I ran, and I jumped into the, the back of his truck. He had one of those little Toyota pickups, and I, I dove into the back of this truck. And as soon as I dove in, wham, that ram just hit the side of the truck. You know, and then he, he staggered back a little bit. He took a few steps back, and he went, wham, into the side of the truck. You know, he staggered around a little bit, took a few steps back, wham, into the side of the truck. He did this like four or five times, and finally, he was really dazed, and he just he wandered off, right? And I didn't have to keep my eye on him for a little while. Well, Doug walked up, and he said, I see you had an encounter with my ram, because there was a huge dent in the side of his truck, right? And when we think of sheep... We normally think to ourselves, not the brightest animals, right? And when we think of shepherds, we usually think gentle and kind, maybe a little bit soft. Well, it's true that sheep aren't very smart, but it's not true that shepherds are soft and weak and vulnerable. Shepherds are tough people. They're strong people. Throughout the Bible, God pictures himself, Old Testament to New Testament, as a shepherd In fact, the most famous psalm begins, the Lord is my shepherd. But David didn't invent that idea. In fact, if you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, chapter 48, Jacob is blessing his children and he says, God has been my shepherd all of my life unto this day. Begins in Genesis, it moves all the way through the Psalms, even into the prophets, Isaiah says, like a shepherd he tends his flock, he gathers up the lambs in his arm. He carries them close to his heart. He leads the ewes along. The caring and loving the sheep is part of the image of a shepherd. But the dominant theme in this image of shepherding is strength. God is our shepherd. And as a result of God's strength, we are safe. We are secure. Because he is strong. And so as we continue our study of God as our father, I want you to keep in mind the fact that God is a a perfect father. You may not have grown up with a great father. God is a great father. You may have grown up with a, a wonderful father. God is greater still 
than the best father that's ever existed in all of human history. God our Father is loving and he's caring and he's kind. He is, as Matt talked about last week, that father like with the prodigal son chasing down his son, looking on the horizon, loving him. God is also strong. God is powerful. And because of that strength, we are secure in his love. And one of the dominant themes that I think really really drives home this point is God our Father is also our shepherd. So I want you to read with me in John chapter 10 where Jesus really illuminates this imagery of God as shepherd. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he's a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. He puts forth all of his own. He goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow but they will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus spoke to them but they did not understand what those things were that he had been saying to them. God is our shepherd. God is our father. And as a good shepherd, good shepherd knows his sheep. In fact, Jesus says, the good shepherd calls his own sheep by name. I want you to picture this for a moment. What, What Jesus is envisioning was a scene that all of his audience were very familiar with. This would have been a sheep pen in which multiple flocks were housed. And we know that because there's actually a doorkeeper that's hired for this sheepfold. It would have been a high rock wall, and there would have been briars wrapped along the top with a single door. And multiple shepherds would come, and they would come to that doorway, and they would each have a unique call, and they would make that call, and as they made that call, their sheep would come out to them. Jesus says, the good shepherd, he doesn't simply have a unique call. He actually calls every single one of his sheep by name. He knows each and every one of them individually. And so as they passed out of the door, they would literally pass under his rod. He would call them by name and he would count them. He would know exactly how many that he had. He would know exactly the condition of their health. He would call each and every one of them by name. God knows you by name. God knows you by name. Good shepherd knows his sheep. John chapter 10, read with me in verse 14. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for my sheep. You see what he's saying? Verse 15. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, so I know you. Remember, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. What God has invited us into is he's invited us into the very intimacy that's been enjoyed within the Trinity for all of eternity. That's what it means to have a relationship with God, to be invited into that very relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit. Jesus knows you just as the Father knows him and as he knows the Father. Why? Because a good shepherd has his life wrapped up in the life of the sheep. In earthly terms, all of his wealth is wrapped up in the sheep. In heavenly terms, you are God's wealth. We are God's wealth. What does God treasure above all else? He treasures us. God has made the entire universe. And so all of the gold, all of the silver, all of the crops, all of the animals, all of the wealth belongs to him. But what does God really value? He values you. That's what God says makes him 
rich. Deuteronomy chapter 26. The Lord has today declared you to be his people, a treasured possession, just as he promised you. Peter picks up the same theme, 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. You are his special possession. You are his treasured possession. God values you because his life is wrapped up, in a sense, in you. You belong to him. And so Jesus says, my sheep, my sheep, my sheep, mine, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine. Shepherd's reputation is wrapped up in his sheep. The quality of their lives is wrapped up in the reputation of the shepherd himself. Psalm chapter 23, he guides me in paths of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. Because you bear his name. Why? Because you're part of his family. You have the family name. Sheep are not the brightest animals on the farm. (laughs) They're not brilliant. They're not teachable. They're really not that trainable. Uh, They're constantly getting themselves into trouble. They're constantly following one another into trouble. They are always susceptible to all kinds of attacks. There are, are wolves and coyotes and lions and bears. There's disease. There are poisonous plants that they will just bend over and eat. And the shepherd is constantly guarding them and protecting them. Why? Because they are his life. They belong to him. Now, historically, the, shepherd, the good shepherd God has always taken his flock and cared for them by putting other men and women over them as under shepherds. Some of them are good and some of them uh, are not so good. Think about the history of God's people. Moses was declared to be a shepherd of God's people, right? So for 40 years he was in, in Egypt and he was being trained and then he killed the Egyptian and he fled for 40 years in the wilderness and what did he do? He was a shepherd, right? He was being trained to shepherd God's people. He had to learn how stubborn and obstinate and foolish God's people actually are so that for the last 40 years of his life, he could shepherd the people of God, right? And then when he died, he prayed, God, send another shepherd for your people. Numbers chapter 27, Moses spoke, he prayed to the Lord and he said, may the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who will lead them out and bring them in so that the congregation of the Lord will not be like sheep who have no shepherd. God, send them a shepherd who will lead them out, okay, that is, take them into battle to conquer the land for you, and bring them back in, and lead them out to enjoy your blessings, and then bring them back in to safety, out of the fold and back into the fold, safety and blessing. God, bring them a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. Joshua was a shepherd. Uh, David was considered a shepherd of God's people. Ezekiel 34 God says, then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David. He will feed them. He will feed them himself. He will be their shepherd under me. Some of the shepherds were good, like Moses and Joshua and David, but some were not so good. Read with me in John chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but he climbs up some other way. He's a thief. He's a robber. Verse 8. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and they might have it abundantly. Who's Jesus speaking of? He's speaking of the spiritual leaders of his day. He's speaking of spiritual leaders of previous days who didn't actually protect and guard and care for the sheep. Instead, they devoured the sheep. 
He's speaking to the scribes and Pharisees that he has just grilled in the previous chapters. They didn't love for, they didn't care, they didn't guard, they didn't protect. They devoured. Verse 12 says, He was a hired hand and not a shepherd who is not the owner of the sheep. He sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and he flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand. He is not concerned about the sheep, they're not his sheep. Jesus says, But they are my sheep, and I care. I'd like you to mark your place here in John 10 and turn with me to the prophets, Ezekiel. It's about uh, close to the middle of your Bibles, Ezekiel chapter 34 and verse 1. Ezekiel chapter 34 and verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly, you have not strengthened. The diseased, you have not healed. The broken, you have not bound up. The scattered, you have not brought back. Nor have you sought for the lost. But with force and with severity, you have dominated them. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd. They became food for every beast of the field. They were scattered. My flock wandered through all the mountains on it and on every high hill. My flock was scattered over all the surface of the earth, and there was no one to search or seek after them. Verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. God says, I will gather them because I'm the good shepherd. And that's what a good shepherd does. Well, my first question for you this morning is, are you a part of God's flock? Do you know that God is, is your shepherd? How can you know? How can you walk out of here today and know that, that you belong to God and God belongs to you? How can you know that? You can know that if you listen to his voice and answer his call. Remember our imagery. The sheepfold is all of humanity and Jesus is standing at the door and he's saying, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, all of you who don't have a good shepherd who are going through life and you're beaten down and you don't have a direction to go. You don't have leadership. You don't have vision. You don't know what life is about. Jesus is standing at the door and he's saying, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, burdened and beaten down, and I will give you rest. Rest is an image of the blessings of salvation. You answer the voice of Jesus calling to you and you say, yes, Jesus, I believe that you are the good shepherd. I believe that you lay down your life for me, that you died for my sins so that I could have life. You can know that you're part of the sheep of God by simply saying, God, yes, I hear the voice of Jesus and I believe. And I would encourage you, if you are visiting with us this morning, maybe this is the first time you've ever been with us, maybe it's this morning that God is calling to you in a very loud, clear voice and he's saying, come to me, believe in me, and leave here knowing that you are safe and you are secure forever because you are part of my family. Jesus says, the good shepherd knows his sheep. They are his sheep. Jesus says, mine, mine, mine. And because he is strong, we're safe. See, the good shepherd knows his sheep. The good shepherd also guards his sheep and protects his sheep. 
I want you to turn with me to the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter 23 and verse 1. Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. When I hear uh, rod and staff, I don't first think comfort. Um, I actually think pain. (laughs) So what is David talking about? What's the imagery? Well, uh, the best image I could find for you to really kind of understand it uh, is this drawing. This is the rod and the staff. Okay? The rod is in the right hand of the sheep. They're on the, the left side of the, the drawing there. And the staff is in the other. The staff is what we normally think of. It's the shepherd's crook, which he could reach into a ravine and he could pull a sheep out and rescue that sheep from danger when that sheep had wandered off foolishly. The rod is a sapling pulled out by its roots, the roots are cut off, and then the ball, the root ball, remains. And it is polished, and it is hard as it dries out, and it is a weapon. Was it used for discipline of the sheep? Yes, but a good shepherd doesn't beat his sheep. A good shepherd cares for his sheep. Primarily, this is a weapon of defense for the good of the sheep. Because sheep are foolish. Sheep do wander off, and sheep follow one another into danger. And so, the rod was a tool to guard and protect. See, uh, Western shepherds drive their sheep with sheepdogs, but Eastern shepherds go in front of their sheep and they call them by name. So they enter first into the danger. They enter first into the danger and they have two weapons in their hands, two weapons of defense, primarily that rod. A great book, if you've never read it, by Philip Keller, uh, Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. Wonderful short book, old book, but wonderful book. He was a, a shepherd himself, and he spent a lot of time with shepherds. And he tells a story one time about being in Kenya with Maasai warriors. And he was with a young shepherd boy, and they were looking for elephants to photograph. And they came upon a, a, group, a herd of elephants, and they were down in this thicket, in this brush. And so they decided they would roll a small boulder down through the trees to kind of rattle them and get them to move and get some photographs. And as they moved this rock... And they turned it up, a cobra came out. And he said, in an instant, that shepherd boy still had his rod in his hand. He never left his hand all the time, even when he's moving a rock. And they moved the rock, and the cobra came out, and he went, bam, and hit him right on the head and killed him. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. (laughs) Philip Keller said, I didn't even have a moment to react. And the snake was dead. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me because I am protected. I am guarded. I'm guarded from wolves and I'm guarded from bears. I'm guarded from anything that would attack me and take my life. One of the most beautiful stories of this is David, the shepherd boy, recounting his experience as a shepherd. 1 Samuel 17 says, David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and I struck him and killed him. 
<laughs> That's awesome. I love that, right? Because we think of David, right? He's strumming on his harp, poetic, writing verse. Ah, David, meek and mild. No, David grabbing the bear by his beard and beating him to death with a club. Man, my son loves that image. That's awesome, right? That is a man's man. That's the shepherd of Israel, the sweet psalmist. Singing and beating, you know, or I mean, just boom, boom. But that's God our Father, men and women. That's God our Father. He is both of these things. I remember when I was in fifth grade, I was getting bullied. There was, there was a kid who had moved into our school, and I remember the last two or three weeks of school, fifth grade, every day this kid would come up to me and he'd say, I want to fight you. <laughs> Every day, you know, and, and, and the situation was, I mean, he was just, he was shorter than me and he was skinny, which I understand, you know, pot calling kettle black, all that kind of thing. I, it's hard for me to say that, but he's, I'm skinny. He was skinnier, right? And he was shorter. He was, t- I mean, he was just, he was intimidating me. And he said, my dad knows Kung Fu. <laughs> and my dad cu- taught me Kung Fu. You know, I'm thinking, oh, Kung Fu, fifth grade Kung Fu. What is that? I mean, you know, but I was intimidated every day. I want to fight you. I want to fight you. So I asked my dad for advice. I said, Dad, what do I do? What do I do? But I will tell you, when I asked my dad for advice, I didn't want advice. Actually, what I wanted was my dad to go fight for me, right? I wanted my dad actually to go beat up his dad (laughs) so that he'd stop bugging me. So I'm thinking, I don't care. My dad is bigger and stronger and tougher. Kung fu is nothing. My dad rests. My dad can hurt you. He can hurt your dad. He can hurt your whole family. That's what I wanted. I want him to fight on my behalf for me, conquer my enemies. That is what our Heavenly Father does for us. I remember another occasion where my dad and I were working in our, our, the woods behind our house, and this German shepherd wandered into our neighborhood, into our lot. And I yelled at that German shepherd, Go home, get out of here! Which just got his attention. And that German shepherd turned toward me, and began coming straight at me. My dad saw that German shepherd turn, and the next thing I knew, I heard this crashing through the woods, and my dad yelling and screaming, and my dad was plowing through the woods, and that German shepherd took one look at my dad, and he ran. Because my dad would have literally torn that German shepherd apart to save me. And I didn't doubt. And as soon as I heard him running, All fear was gone. And I could stand even confidently looking at that enemy. My father was strong. My father would care for me. My father would protect me. We're safe, men and women, because God our Father is strong. And he loves us. And he cares for us. And he guards us. And he protects us. I want you to read with me John chapter 10, verse 27. Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. And I know them and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them. And they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. You see the image? You're in Jesus' hand and then the Father wraps his hand around Jesus' hand. And there you are. I was a little kid uh, spending time with my grandfather, my dad's dad, 
I loved his hands. I still remember his hands. He was uh, a working man. He had worked his whole life with his hands. And so his, his fingers were like big sausages. Right? They're just these big, thick, meaty paws. And it, I loved being held by him. And they were, they were really callous. They were like sandpaper. But I loved it. You know, and he'd touch you. He'd scratch you because they were just tough, strong hands. And the calluses would get so deep sometimes you had to constantly put lotion on them because they would crack and they bleed because they were just tough. They were like leather. In fact, when he was working w- with electricity... He wouldn't go to the fuse box and turn it off. He would literally lick his fingers and grab the wires. Right? Uh, Yeah, there's a little buzz there. Okay, that that one's hot. I'm not kidding. It was like he wore leather gloves. That's how his hands were. And I loved it. Because when he grabbed you, man, you knew you'd been grabbed. And you were not going anywhere. As a little kid, you know how you're wrestling. But once he got you, there you go. That's it. And when I read this verse, that is what I imagine in my mind. I imagine being wrapped up in my grandfather's hands and you don't go anywhere. That's the imagery that Jesus is using. You are wrapped up in the hands of Jesus. And around the hands of Jesus, the hands of God the Father wrap you again. Where will you go? Nowhere. Nowhere. Safe and secure. It says in Colossians chapter 3, For you have died with Christ... And your life now is hidden with Christ in God. Hey, that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, when you believed in Jesus, you were placed into Jesus. You shared in his death, you shared in his burial, you shared in his resurrection, Romans chapter 6. So you were wrapped up in the very life of Jesus, in the hands of Jesus. And then Jesus' life is hidden in God and safe in God. If Jesus is safe in God, you're safe in God. And secure, wrapped in his hands. Tender, caring, strong. Safe, secure, the hands of Jesus. Read with me again, John chapter 10, verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I don't just risk my life, I give my life. I give my life so that your life is safe. I took your death so that you wouldn't have to die. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. Verse 30, I and the Father are one. What's interesting here is that um, throughout the Bible, it's God the Father who says he is the good shepherd. Now Jesus says, no, I'm the good shepherd. What's going on there? Uh, Read with me again verse 30. I and the Father are one. Uh, Allow me to get grammatical for just a moment, okay? The word one there is neuter, not masculine. Okay? If it had been masculine, Jesus would be saying, I and the Father are one person. But they're not one person, are they? There's Father, Son, and Spirit. Three persons. One God. It's neuter because he's saying, we are one God. We're one in essence. We're one in nature. We're one in purpose and work. We are one. And I've come to reveal to you what the Father is like. The father is a shepherd, I'm a shepherd. The father is a good shepherd, I'm a good shepherd. Because I and the father are one. Now allow me to get historical for just a moment. Here's the setting. John chapter 10, 1 through 21 is set in between two feasts. The Feast of Tabernacles and the Feast of Dedication. A Feast of Tabernacles happening sometime in November. Feast of Dedication happening in mid-December. Feast of Dedication we often know as, as Hanukkah. Or the Feast of Lights, Festival of Lights. It's a festival that marks the Jews' last deliverance in Jesus' day. 
167 BC, Antiochus Epiphanes came into Jerusalem. He conquered Jerusalem and he went in and he desecrated the temple. And he sacrificed a pig on the altar and he proclaimed himself as, guess what? God in human flesh. Antiochus Epiphanes. Three years later, Judas Maccabeus, Judas the Hammer, rose up in rebellion and gathered all the Jews and they drove Antiochus Epiphanes and, and these, these men from, from Syria, they drove them out and they experienced freedom until 63 BC when the Romans conquered them and took over Israel. It marks that last moment of deliverance and freedom, Hanukkah. And what they would do at the Feast of Dedication, or as it is in Greek, renewal, is that the priests would go down to the pool of Siloam and they would draw water up for seven days and they would take the pathway up to the temple and they would pour that water out at the base of the altar. For seven days they would do that. And as they poured the water out on the base of the altar, they would light lamps. That's where the the menorah comes from. They would light the lamps because there's water, right? There's water, a symbol of life and refreshment from God. There is light, a symbol of illumination. Josephus wrote, from that time to the present, we observe this festival, which we call the festival of lights, giving this name to it from the fact that the right to worship appeared to us at a time when we hardly dared to hope for it. So for seven days, they're pouring out water, they're lighting lamps. Now in between these two festivals, tabernacles and dedication, Jesus is in Jerusalem and he's using all of this imagery to point to himself. He says in John chapter 7, look, you see the water being poured out on the ground? Well, if you believe in me, there's going to be torrents of water rushing up out of you. That is the spirit. Life. I am true water. I'm the light of the world. You see all those lights being lit? I'm the light of the world. You long for a deliverer and freedom? You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And if you believe in me and my truth, because I am truth, you will never be a slave again. I'm the truth. I'm the life. I'm the water. Guess where the readings came from in Jesus' day, in their their lectionary, in their history of readings? In Jesus' day, the readings came from Ezekiel chapter 34, shepherds, sheep. And Jesus says, here I am. I'm the water. I'm the light, I'm the deliverer, I'm the good shepherd. The Father is your shepherd, I'm your shepherd, because I and the Father are one. You want to know what God is like? This is what God is like. This is who God is. And men and women, what we need is to understand and believe and worship God as he is. He is a good, good Father. And this imagery of a good shepherd really illuminates our understanding of the very nature of God and our relationship with him. In my opinion, it's a cause of a lack of vibrancy in our spiritual lives and it's a cause of of a lack of theological depth and understanding because we don't understand the very nature of God as Father. Let let me illustrate. Let me illustrate for you. Uh, I have known many families whose children have wandered off and stopped walking with Jesus. You know, families who their children walk off they, they fall into deep sin. Some of them move so far away from the family. I've known children who change their name and disassociate with the family completely. When that happens, I've never known a parent who says, that's no longer my son. That's no longer my daughter. That's my son. That's my daughter. They're born into my family. They belong to me. They may not know it. They may not realize it. They may not live like it, but that child belongs to me. Always my child. Always my child. 
And I long for the day when that child comes back so that I can welcome that child as did the prodigal father. Let's rename that, right? Because prodigal means recklessly extravagant. That God's the one who's recklessly extravagant in his love for this son. That's what a good father, a good mother is like. And that's the nature of God. I remember one time hearing a, a young woman, she's a Christian gal, she's in high school, and she was exhorting her friends to walk with God. And so she gave him an analogy. She said, you know, if you're a Christian here today and you're, you're standing on the fence or you're sitting on the fence, you need to understand that the fence belongs to Satan. That means you belong to Satan. If you're sitting on the fence, you belong to Satan. You may be, be a Christian, but if you're on the fence, you belong to Satan. And I was like, you know, I don't expect, I mean, every high schooler's theology to be perfect, but I want to go, can we talk? And in particular, what, what was disturbing to me is this girl's from a really great home. I know her, her parents really well. I know her dad well. He's a good friend of mine. And I wanted to say to her, you know, I think that you're not conscious of this maybe, but, but you think your earthly dad is better than your heavenly dad. Because if you were sitting on the fence, your earthly dad would never say, you don't belong to my family. But you're ascribing that characteristic to your heavenly father. And let me tell you, your heavenly father is far, far, far better as a father, even than your earthly dad, who's really good as a father. Once you belong to him, you belong to him. Why? Because the very nature of relationship with God is described as family, and God is our father. We're safe, we're secure. Why? Because God is strong. Not because we're strong, but because God clings to us. And so we need to allow God to reframe our very understanding of the nature of God, God as our Father. Now, I have an observation for you. John chapter 9 precedes John chapter 10. Brilliant, right? Uh, I got that on my own. I didn't get that from a commentary. I didn't ask Blake. I just, I figured that out, right? John 9 before John 10. What happens in John 9? There's a man born blind. Jesus has just said, I'm God. I'm God. Before Abraham was born, I am. I exist. And let me prove it to you. This man who was born blind, he's been, born, he's been blind for almost 40 years, and Jesus heals him, puts mud on his eyes, he goes off and he washes in what pool? What pool of Siloam? No accident there. And now he can see. And the leaders of Israel, the shepherds, the false shepherds, the bad shepherds, they just start grilling this guy. No, you weren't born blind. They bring his parents in. Hey, was he born blind? He's our son, but we don't know how he came to see Uh, We don't believe it. We don't bring him in again and let's grill him. How did you come to see? Well, I already told you, Jesus made me see. We don't believe it. And he goes, well, that's your problem. That's your problem. All that I know is once I was blind, now I can see. And Jesus was the man who did it for me. And so what do these shepherds do? They throw him out. They throw him out. What does Jesus do? He seeks and he saves and he collects and he finds him and he draws him to himself and says, the man says, okay, now that I see and you're the one who made me see, let me worship. And he worships Jesus. Jesus draws him in. He seeks him and he saves him. And once he's in the family, he is always in God's family. Jeremiah chapter 31, thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured, which they can't, and the foundations of the earth searched out below, 
which they can't, then I will also cast off all the offspring of Israel for all that they have done, declares the Lord. Okay, you get it? This is during the exile when Israel's been removed from the land and God knows all of their sin. They're under discipline even for their sin. And God says, well, look, don't misunderstand me. Just because they're under discipline, they're my children. And they'll always be my children until someone among you can search to the very ends of the universe or can go to the very depths of the earth, which you can never do. So they belong to me forever mine. Forever mine. So we need to understand the very nature of God as Father. Second, I think that we misunderstand the nature of salvation. And we think of salvation so often as this, uh, like it's an item. And I go and I find it and I pick it up. And if I decide I don't want it, I can hand it back. Or if someone takes it from me, they can just grab it and take it. Right? But that's not, how, that's not what salvation is. Salvation is relationship. It's entering into a relationship with God. And so Paul says in Romans chapter 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he goes on this rant. You know, things in the heavens, things on the earth below, height, depth, any other created thing, angels, principalities. Can, can anything separate you? He says, no, nothing that has been created, which is everything other than God, can separate you. And since I won't separate you, you can't be separated. Why? Because God doesn't cast off his children. That's not what he does. It's not his nature. And the nature of salvation is relationship. So it's interesting. Paul searches all of his uh, knowledge of culture and he creates analogy after analogy after analogy to explain the nature of salvation. Let me illustrate that for you. He gives an economic analogy. You have been redeemed. You're like a slave. You're a slave of sin and death. And so God goes into the marketplace of slavery and he buys you for himself. He paid the price. You belong to him. A social analogy. You are alienated from God. There's estrangement in your relationship. and go, So God goes and he reconciles you to himself. God doesn't move, but you need to move. And so you're reconciled back to God. There's a legal analogy. You've been declared righteous. You were outside of justice. You were wrongly related to God. And now you're declared to be in right relationship with God. That's justification. There's a familial analogy. You've been adopted. You're born into a bad family, a corrupt family. And so what does God do? He takes you out of that family and he puts you into his own family. And then there's a biological analogy. You're born dead. You're born physically, but you're born dead spiritually. And so God regenerates you. He causes you to be born again, again, into his family. What I want you to notice here is all of these things are done to you and for you. The moment that you believe, God does all of these things to you and for you. You don't do these things for yourself. In other words, you are not saved by your faith. You're saved by God through faith. Okay? God saves you. So God redeems you. God reconciles you. God justifies you. God adopts you. God regenerates you. God does all of these things. If I can state it another way. Since God has done all of these things and God won't undo all of these things, you can't undo these things. You cannot escape from the love of God. Thank you, Carl. (laughs) You belong to God forever. Because God's a good father. A good father doesn't want to cast off his children. A good father doesn't cast off his children. A good father, what does he do? He holds those children tightly and firmly and securely. And even when they're wayward, they belong to him forever. You belong to God forever because God is a great father. 
And so I want you to imagine for just a moment your life, your, your eternal life, wrapped up in the hands of Jesus, and then the very hands of God the Father wrapping around the hands of Jesus, holding you firmly and securely forever. Would you bow with me? This morning, if you are sitting there and you are not sure if you belong to God the Father, you're not sure if you are part of, of his flock, we're going to have some folks up here at the front who would love to uh, talk with you and pray with you and help you understand uh, that, that simple process uh, through which you can enter into the very family of God and be with him safely and securely forever. Or maybe this morning you're having a hard time just trusting that God is your heavenly father and trusting him that you're safe and secure. Or maybe there's some, some worries and cares and burdens you've brought in with you. They're, they're just shaking you. You need someone to sit and to pray with you. And we'll have some folks here who are ready and, and desirous to pray with you. Maybe you feel a little uncomfortable coming forward. Well, we have uh, prayer cards and you can fill one of those cards out and we will pray for you or we can have someone come and meet with you uh, and talk through this and pray with you. Let me encourage you, uh, don't leave here this morning without knowing for sure that God is your father, that he is your good shepherd. Father, I thank you, I praise you that we are safe because you are strong. We're not safe and secure because we cling to you. We are safe and secure because you cling to us. And I pray, Father, that we would rest in that. I pray, Father, that that security would challenge us and encourage us and motivate us to live more fully as your children, representing the family name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Parents, again, thank you for entrusting your kids to us.